is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. No person under 17 years of age will be admitted to the theater unless they are accompanied by a parent or certified adult guardian. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey there, I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 298. This time around, oh, it's a good one. You were joined by Grammy winning multi-instrumentalist, composer, and frontman for the multi-platinum band Korn, Jonathan Davis. At time of release, their brand new album, Requiem, is available everywhere now. J.D., takes you along on his path through the horror genre and the films that paved his way to a passion for all things dark. Explore his interest in the paranormal and his experiences therein, from his time with Zach Baggins and performing at the world's most haunted venues and the franchise he regrets turning down the opportunity to score. We talk true crime, riding a train at H.R. Giger's house in Korn's fiercely intense album number 14 that is a pummeling cinematic masterpiece. It is episode 298 with the legendary Jonathan Davis, now playing. All right, joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a singular artistic force, a singer-songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and composer, the likes of which there is no one else, and easily one of the most influential of our lifetime. He has scored acclaimed film soundtracks, including Queen of the Damned and the Sitkus-nominated After the Dark. He's built worlds for video games, solo projects, and EDM. His unmistakable sound has earned him multiple Grammy Awards, over 23 platinum album certifications, and has shot tentacles into the very roots of culture. Much more than a band, himself and his main project have been instrumental in creating a movement and community that changed music and culture forever. Listening to them is catharsis in its purest form. They are masters of dynamics. There's absolutely no one out there who can take you on that journey of tension and release as eloquently, as uniquely beautiful, and as powerful as Korn. And at time of recording this, we're on the cusp of the arrival of album number 14. It's called Requiem. We are honored to welcome Mr. Jonathan Davis. That was quite an intro, man. That was insane. Dude, well deserved. This is a long time coming for us. Uh, we are very yeah. excited to speak with you. So first of all, I mean, how are you doing? Does this pre-new album birth ever lose its potency for you? No, oh, man. I mean, it's just you go through the, the motions. For me, the best part of it is just making it and just creating it. The whole process, creating it, mixing it, getting rid of the artwork, all that stuff. And then all this stuff is just a necessary evil. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. we'll start. We'll start off easy. So, on the path to Requiem, we'll talk about some of your darker creative influences. We want to get into horror movies? What comes to mind as a first time you remember being impacted by a horror film? By a horror film, the first one I think that just scared the ever living shit out of me was The Exorcist. That was uh, a really crazy film, and it's still to that. There's still this underlying 
string of just terror when I watched that. When I, I liked when they did the redo or the uh, and they, whatever they did, they redid it a little bit. And yeah, yeah, and put it back out in theaters and the backwards yeah, crab walk and all that stuff. Yeah, backwards crab walk, and I got to go to the to the the premiere of that, and that was pretty fucking cool. Um, I love that, and I don't know that movie really, really, really got to me. Another one was Suspiria. Yep. When I was really young, I remember the, the trailer for that. And, you know, the person's talking his shit and it's this curled head and she turns around and it's a fucking skull. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 um, those movies like that, there's just lots of them, diff- different ones uh, that really impacted me at a young age. I mean, I remember... Your studio's looking very Argento, by the way. <laughs> Super Argento. <laughs> anyway, what are you going to say? <laughs> I just remember as a kid... I really was drawn towards horror films because I mean, I love it every weekend. I get down to school as a kid and I got my parent, uh, my mom would take me and let me go pick out two movies at the, at the rental beach. It's place back when you could do that. Yeah. And I was like, I couldn't wait. I had to see fucking uh, the gates of hell or uh, the hills have eyes or all these ones. I just get one and I just, I just watch them. I love them. And another one was one of my favorite was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah, that one's crazy. So good. It was just fucking, oh my God. Those, those, those movies just, that's how it led me and, and got, I don't know, I just was so attracted to dark things. It led me down that path. And eventually, I mean, I love the gory. The gorier, the better. Eventually, it led me down the path where I became a coroner. <laughs> and I started doing autopsies and shit for real. But at a young age, I was just totally drawn towards that old. What would you consider would be in your top three horror films? If you could, if you could say off the top of your head. Oh my God. I think there's one's uh, the exorcist Salem's lot. That one fucked me up. What else? Some scary ass shit. Hmm. I guess Asperia. As a kid going to video stores, was there ever like artwork on a box that really drew you in? The gates of hell. Yeah, I remember yeah. that one too. Yeah. Remember that setting out. Yeah, have you seen any uh, recent in, in recent years? Have you seen any that had a lasting effect, such as those classics you mentioned, like The Exorcist and uh, Suspiria and all those? Um, I'm trying to think of a horror movie that's really grabbed me lately. I mean, there's great ones out there, but it's like fucking pulling teeth to get me to sit down to watch a movie, man. I can't do it. It's very hard. If <laughs> for me, I have to. I have to like. To be in the right mood to be able to sit down. And I'm more, I like to just sit and play video games or do music and shit like that. Um, I'm trying to think of the last time I saw a crazy one. I think I saw, what was it, High Voltage? Oh, what was the name of this movie? Was it High Tension? High Tension, that oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah that's a crazy one, man. That was pretty crazy. And I watched it at, at Paul Booth, the, the tattooist. I was in New York and I watched it in his ear. And then going into that fucking tattoo shop is just like going into a fucking horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. And what about so yeah. gaming? You, you're, you're a big gamer. How, how do you find that that influences your creative process? It's just, it really is a big, huge part of it because I create and then I get pissed off and burned out. And so uh, right across from my rig or here it's across, but at the studio, I have my, where I, you know, my computer, all my stuff that I write with and right above is my gaming rig. So I'll just look up to that and I start gaming wow. and, I'll play and then when my hair is, you know, when I clear my head and everything, I'll go back to creating. It's just a great way to take a break and take myself out of that. Cause it can get frustrating sometimes. I'm like, sometimes you'll hit a, you know, a block and you just need to walk away. And that's what I usually do. 
have you messed with Oculus or any of the VR kind of stuff before? Yeah, Are you into that? There's pretty some pretty cool. What's the one that was playing on Oculus? I liked. It was hard. Some of them are, you know, like I was trying to play side scrollers on Oculus, <laughs> and I get so fucking dizzy, I wanted to fall over. Yeah, dude, it's <laughs> tough with the motion sickness oh. stuff. I'm having issues with that too. Oh yeah, it gives you the motion sickness ones. And then there's the weird ones. Remember that one where you like, if you're a lonely person, you put it on and you get to talk to like a girl. These two attractive girls, or if you're a girl, you get they got two attractive dudes, yeah. and you have conversations. Yeah. What the fuck is that? It's about? So weird, dude. It's so it's weird. So weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what about i want to talk a bit about your your collecting so i know historically i mean we remember going to Ozfest and seeing a lot of your serial killer true crime collection how much of that still exists how much of that is still part of your collection now and what are you currently collecting um i mean i i went through that and did that and that was all good but i right now i collect more of the things that i'm collecting now are more like haunted artifacts i have a whole bunch of haunted dolls um just items what else crack medical stuff uh toys just old evil toys and just i don't know it's all around me yeah what is the process like of tracking down some of those like haunted artifacts is that something that you spend time actively doing are you looking on ebay yeah, or are you I, getting I people my feelers out in my town all the all the uh all the antique stores i always i've gone in there and talked to them if you ever get a doll or something that just does not make you feel okay like you feel something and it freaks you out call me send it to jd's house (laughs) (laughs) i got a whole bunch of them here that i've adopted and it's like they don't give me maybe sometimes i'll get a new doll and it's a little weird for a while but i think they like it here really do i don't have that many problems and when i bring new dolls or do you know sometimes the ones in shit will get weird around here for a little while but then and it calms down i mean i have a lot of really dark like i won't say evil but more on the dark side of a lot of positive shit so it all equals itself out if it gets kicked out of balance a little bit more or the other then they react i know it sounds crazy but it fucking is really That's true crazy is there, is there any particular item that has a story that is just out of control bizarre that compelled you to get it um most of them are like it's just, I mean, just the stories of people that they've had these dolls that caused nightmares or they caused them to, to be sick and stuff like that. Um, I get them with stories. Half the time, half my dolls, I just, when I see them in the store, I usually what happens is I'll look at them and I get really dizzy. Oh, whoa. I'll feel this like, what is going on? And I'm like, that's one. I'll take it home. <laughs> We've talked to some people who've come up to us at conventions and they talk about their experiences going to Zach Baggins haunted museum out in Vegas. And they get, that's the kind of feelings they'll talk about being there is either dizziness, heavy chest. They can't stay in certain rooms. They got to get out of there. So you've been there. Your buddies yeah. with Zach. Yeah. What is it like being there? We have not been to the haunted museum yet. I know they have the demon house staircase, a movie we still cannot watch. <laughs> yeah, That's an amazing movie. Um, he has an amazing collection, man. He always gets shit and he'll send me, look what I got. I'm so pissed off. No, but I really, really love his, his museum. It's, it's, it's really amazing that a person could get a collection like that and people can go see it. Cause you'll definitely feel something there. <laughs> Do you have a favorite item that you saw there or something that was like, Whoa, oh, Peggy, Peggy's my favorite. Talk about Pe- who's Peggy. Who's Peggy. This doll has in, a, in a, one of the rooms. Uh, she's been known to cause harm. People give, you know, 
cause heart attacks. People go in there, she'll give, give them, they'll have bloody noses and all kinds of weird shit. And so he has a ghost, uh, a ghost box, one of these fucking things in there, you know, these things. Yeah. 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 Spirit box. And so he's got that hooked up in there and you can go in and, uh, talk to her. And plenty of times she said my name, she said my girlfriend's name. Um, we've, I've been in there, I hang out with her all the time when I go there and I just have this, I don't know. I just have this thing. She's my favorite. Wow, that's amazing! Really cool, and oh, I like the Dybbuk box too because that's that's oh, the story of the Dybbuk box is un yeah, that's an old, that's, an old, that's like a gin or some shit like that. That's like some malevolent spirit, and uh, I felt it. I've been close to it. I know it's pretty crazy. Have you ever played somewhere? Obviously, there's lots of haunted places to play, but have you ever felt something somewhere where you were playing a show? I mean, there's all kinds of places all over. There's this uh, armory in oh, New York. Where is it? Albany, I think. Okay. It's got like some crazy energy in it. Uh, the Eagles Ballroom, my favorite venue in the United States in Milwaukee. Um, there's some activity in there. Um, go, I mean, across Europe, we played like asylums and stuff like actual real asylum. Like you go across, you can see all like there's still beds and shit. And they're just decrepit you just come across all these old venues and they just got like stories to tell and instill energy in them that if you're into it and you can tune to it, tune into it. It's pretty interesting. But, um, I've been to most of them. When we get new ones, I'll go exploring, but I've explored most of them. We've been doing it a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, is, is there uh, one incident that you can think of in particular that solidified your belief in the paranormal? I think the first thing is when I was a child, I saw ghosts all the time. Um, I would just, I'd talk to my mother about seeing this ghost that I always see all the time. I'd see this like energy. It was it's just like, it wasn't like a ghost. You see what you would think it was like, kind of like a negative. Like you'd look at it, an old negative. Yeah. And rippling the, whatever you've seen, where you could see through it behind it was just kind of like glitching it out, whatever. So I watched him walk across and he disappeared. And then I started describing him to my mother. And she said, well, you're describing your great grandmother to the T. And I would always like, see him and I always see him out of the corner of my eye. So from very early on, I was into the paranormal. And when my aunt was a was all into astrology and, and going to the astral and all this this, you know, doing all this energy work. And so I was raised up around it, uh kind of it stuck in my head that there was more than just what people thought, you know. I was raised believing in ghosts and that there's energies and um that it's not a bad thing. Want to know most disturbing serial killer or true crime case that you've come across? Most disturbing? Mm-hmm. I would have to say Albert Fish was one of the ones that was really crazy. The guy was very insane. He was a cannibal and liked to hurt himself a lot. And I think this, the story is that, that when they fried his ass at Sing Sing, that they found a bunch of hat pins stuck in his taint. <laughs> 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 wow. uh, pretty pretty intense stuff man i just like the crazy the better for me it's not that i'm glorifying or i just find it fascinating it's fascinating um trying to just find how these what makes these people tick i've seen firsthand what you know what humans can do to other humans but working in the corners i'm doing autopsies and it's by far just heinous horrible shit and i don't condone it at all but just that what would make someone do stuff like that um really 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 
just takes me in. I think people get possessed and I also do. I think, I think malevolent things and a lot of mental illness, whatever you want to call it, take over a person and make them do fucking horrible things. And it's just, it sucks. Yeah. It's the only, yeah. It's the only thing that would make sense as, as far as that goes. Yeah. And I don't, I don't get it. There's a lot of stuff um, that the people do, but it's just unfortunate. We're fucking kind of gross creatures, man. I know for, I've seen some crazy shit in my lifetime doing doing what I did early on in, in my life, and uh, humans are pretty disgusting. A standout piece in your collection, and one that gets the audience fired up to an insane degree at all your shows, is that stunning Giger microphone stand. And I know you've yeah. talked about it a thousand times, but we are huge geeks about it, man. Tell us the story just briefly of how that came to be. Um, well, I was a huge fan of Giger. I loved his Arata Mechanics collection. I bought a lot of his erotic work um um and i have him at my house um and i don't know i was hanging out with my assistant one day is uh, a guy named jonathan vasey and we were talking and i was like talking about you know giger and stuff like that and he's like dude you love giger so much why don't you have him make a mic stand for you i go what are you talking about he didn't do that he's like you know you know, I never know so he just ran with it and he somehow got in touch with uh giger's agent and then they got the giger and giger was like Hell yeah, I'll do it. I'd love that. I'd love to do a, a functional sculpture. That's what he, he called it. Wow. And I went to Switzerland. We're always touring over there. So I went to Switzerland. And the first time I met him, I went to his house. Well, first I went to the museum and saw the museum in Greer. And then I went to his house. And that was one of the most surreal moments of my life. Because I walked in and I met him. And he showed me around the house and all these wonderful masterpieces. Are, he's got them in his house, some of them. These huge, huge uh, airbrush paintings that he did. And he goes, come here. Because you want to go on the Harkonnen, because he did this Harkonnen train, which he was supposed to be the art director for Dune. Yes, I remember that. Yep. It never, it never happened, but he has an Harkonnen train in his fucking house. Oh my and it's God. It's a crazy little fucking house. It's, it was just a trip. So he's like, come on. So I sit in this, he sits in the, like the, the, the engine of the train, and I'm in like this passenger car little thing. It's this little train. You sit on it. And the thing starts taking off and he built a track that went through his house and through the backyard to all these soldiers and shit. And it had to be like, and I really sat there. There's one of those moments in my life. I'm like, I fucking made it. And this is the craziest shit I've ever done. I'm in fucking Sweden on the back of the fucking Harkonnen train being engineered by H.R. Kinker. What in the flying fuck is going on? It was one of those moments in my life I will never fucking forget. And I just had an amazing night. We went in and we just hung out and talked and we talked about the mic stand. And then I left and then I went back to the States and I came back and he had it done. He, he totally he molded it in clay. And so he came up and he said, come to the house. So I, I went back and he made sure the measurement was right. And boom, it was done. And then the next time it was shipped off to me. And that was in 2000. I got it in 2001, I believe. And it's been on the stage with me ever since. Wow. It's like my prized possession. Have you had to make replicas in order? Like, does it get damaged on stage so or I, anything? I, had, I have two. There's three in existence. There were supposed to be five, but we never made the other two. Yeah. Um, he's got one in his bar in uh, Greer, where it's the Giger bar. And then there's the museum. And I have two, one in the United States and one in Europe. So I don't have to keep shipping them back and oh, forth. That makes sense. That's, a good, that's a good idea. But I broke them. I broke them. I mean, they're still the original, but... I've snapped both of them at the base. So we've had them reinforced and welded and shit. So 
that killed me. But God, I can imagine. But hey, it's all part of the all part of the history of the object. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Leo, you had a Giger question. Yeah, how did you come about discovering uh, Giger's work? Was it from watching Alien or from his prior work, like the Necrocomicon or, or uh, artwork? Or for me, the first taste of Giger was Aliens. To be honest, when he designed that. But then my sister's uh, husband was a huge fan of his, and he had the books. Before I even got in Cornhead, he always had the books I'd be over their house and I'd see them and I saw the auto mechanics and, and earlier works of his and just like I love that dark biomechanical shit that he does. It's like he invented that. That was his thing. And, and that inspired so many different artists to go from there. And I think in my life, just to meet someone like that in my lifetime, that was a master. That was like there's gonna be never ever another gear. It's like, I don't know. I just feel very very honored to be able to to do a project with someone like that and um remain friends all those years oh that's incredible man so the boo crew will be right back from the mists of infinity they come rising from the cold damp earth to take what is now theirs When the moon turns red, the dead shall rise and walk the earth. From the gates of hell, they have finally come. The gates of hell. No one under 17 admitted without parent or certified adult guardian. Getting into the music, it, it's something that's been fascinating to watch happen over over the journey that the band has taken us all on since your debut, now like twenty eight years ago, is this <laughs> remarkable trajectory. And you came out doing things nobody else was doing. But the right. interesting thing about Corn is that Creative Spark has been equally as insane on every single album since. The band is honestly the only band out there I can think of that continually evolves and maintains that same inventiveness that you've had since day one. And it's driven by so much heart, you can tell. And each album reinvents the wheel of what you're doing. What do you attribute that effort and energy to? How come it doesn't die with you guys? It just keeps going. I think it has to do with the chemistry between each of us and the band. Um, I think the biggest thing and the most important thing is that we all get along so well. I mean, I've been around so many um, big bands that, that hate each other and they can't even, they can get to the point where they can't even be in the same room. They have to go in different, you know, come and be on different sides of the stage. They only see each other on stage and then they go on and go their way, which is fine. But when you're trying to create and do something, you can't have like that bullshit going on when you're trying to write or do something. Um, everybody respects it. Everybody, we all like respect. If, if someone has an idea and we want to do it, we'll always try it. And then we pick and we're really a democratic like kind of band. And there's, you know, everyone's equal. Everyone has their equal share. And we just have been lucky. I guess. I don't know. We get in the room and we start making this music and it just comes from somewhere else. It's, it's not like we physically sit there or mentally go, we're going to do this and we're going to go in this direction. And we're going to do that. It's just, we get together and we make this music and it comes out different every time. It's kind of strange. Yeah, it's wild, dude. Yeah. It is. It's really, it's really special though. And I really enjoy being in this band. The one thing that I've noticed over the years, and it kind of started on follow the leader is this transformation of corn into a cinematic monster. 
there is something that really started coming into its own slowly but surely. The music and vocals became even more fucked with and layered and the palette just became yeah. so deep and rich that the sound of corn became like its own ecosystem where the listener can get lost in all the details that you guys are putting into it. And in Requiem, it's at the height of the height of a height. It sounds like a fucking movie. And there's no interplay in the history of music that I can think of between you and Fieldy and Head and Monkey and now Ray. Can you talk about designing that experience and putting all that shit in for us as the architects of that experience? Yeah, I mean, it's just... I don't know. It's just how we make records is what we do. I mean, for the guys, they, they, for me, I have to have everything written. When we start to write a song, we write the song, I'll, we'll do a demo of it. And then I'll actually start humming melody lines over it. Yeah. And if the melody line is good and we, we feel it's good, then we'll record it. So I have the band recorded. Everything is recorded and everything's done. So they sit there and, and do their thing. And that, and that's amazing. And they, they do all these guitar tracks and build this bass or, where he's playing drums and then once it's done then it's my turn and then that's when it takes for you know it takes me a while um i'll write the lyrics which that's quick and i'll do the main vocals which is pretty quick and then the the, the tedious part is doing all the background and the harmonies and all that stuff it's a huge bed of harmonies every song requiem each song is at least 21 to 26 vocal tracks on it wow. and they're all done on uh i do four part harmonies i do i have two mics for for the uh the doubles, the main vocals, one for like up closing, and I have one for like the heavy screaming. Then I have four other mics where I do these four part harmonies, and I and I triple each harmony using different mics, and it just so it's not the same thing. It just creates this big, lush, huge bed of vocals. It just wraps around. You. If you hear, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly. It, what you're it makes about. it just tedious and it takes a long ass time. But once you're done, it just sounds amazing. The first track, Forgotten, is a good example of you taking melodies to beautiful places and then weaponizing that with darkness. These sound like sweeping movie scores. Have you given much thought about what makes up your melodic vocabulary? And is there anything that you find makes you land on notes that seem to command an emotional response or, you know, that alchemy of where you decide to land phrases? Because it's very unique and it's very you. I just, yeah, it's, it's me. And I just call that witchcraft, man. That's wizardry. That's the art of me getting in your fucking head. Or I can come up with a melody and you can't get it out. And it pisses you. I'm like, God damn this song. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> all that's rewarding to me. I love it. I got in your fucking head. I, I, I cast in my magic spell. Right. It is, dude. It's, it, it is. It is. And that's another thing that you're constantly exploring and testing the limits of your voice. It's happened consistently again, like all over every corn album is I, I can't imagine there would be things that you still aspire to do or work on, but are you, are you, is there things that you did on Requiem that you've you kind of came up with during the Requiem process, things you've added to your arsenal or is it just second yeah, nature yeah. at this point? No, I'm always, that's what that really drives me is like, how I want to do the next record. How am I going to top this? So as it's always been a learning process, what I've done over the last 20 years of every producer that we've ever worked with, I love the art of recording. I love production. I sit there and I, drill them and I like a student I'll just sit there and try to bring grab something from each producer I've ever worked with and over the years I've amassed this thing so I know and I love like how am I going to make it better next time and I've got already for the next record when we get done writing that I mean I've got all kinds of new shit in store different tape machines for different instruments and all the things just about the way you capture it and on this record it's it's cool because we did this one mostly analog 
we use the tape machine, like old school. It seems like when you do that, you can you, it just captures more of a vibe and more of an energy. Um, when you do to analog, it's like you're actually playing with energy. You hit a string or I sing in a mic, it sends a, a electrical impulse through cables and it's actually alive. Like it's electricity. It's going through the board and everything. And then this electricity gets transferred and splashed against this beautiful magnetic analog tape, right? But when you do it on a computer, <laughs> that all that analog stuff's great. Then it goes to a converter and it's converted to ones and zeros. And it's not like alive to me. It sounds very flat. And you can see it throughout with everything that's gone to digital. You see a movie, you see the music and stuff. You hear it like you listen to music, it's very flat. It has no, I don't know what it is, just a vibe. So I wanted to splash all this wonderful analog goodness all over this record. So we would capture everything in analog and then we transfer it to digital because digital, what digital does is great at capturing it and keeping it pristine. But um, you want to get all that, the, the vibe and the electricity and the, the heart of the music captured on analog. So we did this, we did this kind of like hybrid thing and it worked well. So now I got a new system I'm working on and it's going to even be better for the next record. Oh so, my God. That's amazing. That's so fun. It's fun, man. It's, I really love doing what I do. And I, I'm passionate about it and I'm never going to get sick of it. I don't, I don't, I, that's why I do what I do. And yeah. It keeps, I mean, it keeps us fascinated and obsessed with the band too. Cause we never know what we're going to yeah. get, which is so fun. And it's ra- It's fucking rare. Honestly, it's just rare these days. And especially to have a band yeah. that continually does this over time is just unheard of. Uh, Hopeless and beaten has so much polarity imbued into that. It pulls so much. It pulls a lot out of the listener. It's a real fucking journey. It's like a theme park yeah. ride. It's a black metal song that's got these out of left field, beautiful harmonies crammed into it. It, yeah. it honestly gives give, give me chills. What's under the yeah. hood of that song in particular? That's good. I mean, it's just, I mean, like I said, I'm all about balance, man. It's got to have everything. And that one does. It's brutal. It's got some guttural black metal screams. It's got a beautiful melody to it. Um, and that's kind of how I mean, lyric is how I feel like I've been beat up so long with life throwing curveballs at me that, I mean, in that moment, I was just letting that out. Um, sometimes it's left you, it leaves you in this hopeless spot where you feel like you've just been beat the shit and, and there's no hope and you're just in a hole. But, you know, if you persevere, you crawl out. It just takes time. Yeah, you guys are always known for kick-ass stage productions and lighting and presence. With the upcoming tour for Requiem, uh, what can the fans expect to see, you know, once they see you on stage again? Um, you know, we always got something over our sleeve, man. It's just, it's really cool with these, we work with amazing people that, that design amazing sets. And, you know, um, we have these crazy pods that we brought out and all this stuff with all this amazing video. And it's going to be just, you know, we want to do a cool show and make it, entertaining and like wow look at that but we don't want it to go overboard because you know the music is it's about music some bands were they need all the the gags and all that stuff to to uh make the show entertaining for me i think it's and just for me personally i think the music speaks for itself it's just to highlight it so um that's what we were it's it's hard to balance that out though too you don't want to go overboard but you don't want to not do enough so you got to find a you just got to find a, a happy medium at the heart of the experience of, of Requiem, th- there's an interesting quality. Like the band's been relentlessly touring for like 26 years now. Mm-hmm. And these past few years have been all about time, the time to spend with family, time to be around your collection. 
of perspective yeah. and reflection. How do you think that that time affected the creation of the album and the emotional and lyrical journey for you in particular? I mean, being put on a mandatory timeout kind of was good for me to just go soul searching and figure out, you know, get to hang out with my kids, get to hang out with my girl, get to, I start fucking gardening, man. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I, I like to I go to a nursery and the girl come back or planting flowers and pots and shit. And I was as happy as fuck. Like I've never done this. It's or great. I worked on my house. Shit. I just never got to do because I was always out on the road yeah. or hanging out with my kids and being there all the time was amazing. But like making the record, how it inspired was coming from, you know, the whole reason that I mean, this record was made is because we were locked away and we were going crazy. We wanted to just, Forget about all this shit because all the social unrest. Forget when you know we had this virus is going to kill all of us, but then everybody started rioting and fucking doing all this crazy shit. So I was just like, oh, I got to get the fuck out of here. I want to go do something. And so we got together. So that time when we go to the studio and all of us in the band would get together, that was our time to forget about the world and just make music and be fucking happy. And that's where that's what inspired this record is so just try to escape from all the bullshit that was going on. Yeah. So, you know, it was different for us and it was the first record. We just were all so appreciative and happy to be in the room and, and creating because we didn't know what the future held. We had no idea. And there was no, there was all the time in the fucking world. As we wrap up here, man. So uh, we understand you're going to be, you're going to be in a horror movie. Did you already film this? Is this something that's coming out or what? What's the story with that? Which one? The, uh, the, Josh, uh, Josh Petrino, Joshua yeah, Petrino. Yeah. 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 He, we, I did that 2011 or 12. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. He's, been get, he's been trying to get it. Uh, he, he got it made, but get it, you know, distributed. Um, so he finally did. And I did the voice. It was a voiceover thing. Actually this, this horror, it's a character named pet, I believe. And uh, so he's like, it's not me, but I, I'm his voice. All the boys work on that, so that's gonna be good. Oh, dude, that's awesome, man! I just love you know horror films like that. It's just one of those cut them up, you know, like weird camp house vibe. Someone's gonna chop your fucking head off. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but it's entertaining. (laughs) How about how about scoring? Continuing your trajectory, scoring horror films is that something that you like doing? Is it is it is it a pain in the ass? (laughs) Would you do it again? Fun. It's fun. You just need to have the time in this thing. I haven't been really pursuing it lately. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to do another one sometime too. The last one I did was, uh, what was it? American Satan, I think was the last one I scored. Yep. So, um, you know, when they come around, I'll, I'll do them, but it's not like something I actually pursue. I just got to find the right project. And, um, cause I got to put a different hat on. That's like, like, you're not making tunes there. There's no like set verse chorus bridge shit there. No, it's just pretty intense. You're trying to paint with, paint emotions with sound and and bring life to these to this moving picture and that's it's hard to wrap your head around sometimes so um maybe in the future who knows is there a horror franchise that you would like to be part of you know what sucks it really fucking sucks me and my partner richard gibbs turned down saw no That was a closer, right? Yeah. Yeah, but we, it was a, it didn't work out, and I kicked myself in the ass all the time. 
Well, the next big franchise will come along looking for yeah, JD. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Leo, yeah. you had a question, one more question before we, we uh, sign off. Yeah, there's so many great people that are scoring uh, horror films these days because there's so much horror coming out, man. Is there any, uh, are there any people you'd like to team up with? For example, like you mentioned Suspiria, I figured you might want to team up with like the Goblin guys maybe? Or is there any guys you want to work with? I don't know. I mean, I've usually worked with my, my, my square partner, Richard Gibbs, and we've done tons of stuff together. I'm open to, to collaborating with anyone. I've never like, it just depends if they can, we can hook it up and make it work. I love doing it because it's, it's so just different for me. And I'm not, I mean, I'm classically trained, but I'm going to sit there and I can, I can, I can read music, but it takes me, I got, I'm really slow. I can't just sight read, you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Um, I love seeing Richard did this. I don't know. I was hanging out with uh, Danny Elfman too, when we were doing the night before Christmas stuff. Oh, cool. Guys, they write scores like with this fucking staff and a pencil. They don't even have a piano. They just, Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> pencil and shit. I'm like, what the fuck? Oh, they're just, and then someone coming to play it's just like it's like alien to me i don't know that's amazing that's so killer man well dude john it's been an absolute honor thank you so much for your time man and congrats on requiem and we can't wait to see you on the road dude it's gonna be amazing appreciate you guys doing this for us that was the boot crew podcast episode 298 special thanks to our guest jonathan davis of corn follow him at official jonathan davis on instagram at time of release corn's new album requiem is available everywhere now tour dates at cornofficial.com music for this episode from corn production tracks provided by powerman 5000 till next time this is trev for the boot crew saying sweet screams thanks for listening to another episode of the boo crew podcast haunt the boo crew at tales from the boo crew.com tales from the boo crew on facebook and instagram follow us on twitter at tales from the boo the boo crew is lauren and trevor shand and leone d'antonio the boo crew is produced by lauren shand chopped and sliced by trevor shand the boo crew is a tsp creation part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGTBQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.